Thank you, Terry. As we hear in that reading, the coming of the Holy Spirit, the birth of the church, and we hear Jesus in the Gospel of John now, chapter 14, uh, giving us a preview that the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will come. Our Gospel reading comes from that chapter, beginning in the 23rd verse. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These words I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. On a day of new beginnings like Pentecost, of birth, I thought it'd be fun to spend some time talking about new beginnings and birthdays. For example, when YouTube was born and began humbly by one of its founders, Jared Kareem, who created and uploaded the very first video uploaded to YouTube on April 23rd, 2005. It was a humble beginning. It was a low-resolution video, very underproduced. It was Jared standing in front of the elephants at the zoo. Me at the zoo, it's famously titled. Who could have imagined with those humble beginnings that this would be a platform where ordinary people would become cultural influencers and transform the way that we we do entertainment or marketing or connect with one another. You know, I've come across several times this week a a quote by Nelson Mandela that it seems impossible until it's done, right? But they didn't even have an imagination for what this could possibly become as influencers. How much more is that not so for this small band of men and women 2,000 years ago, I mean, who but God would have had an imagination that this small band of men and women would be used by God to transform the next two millennia? The famous Princeton scholar and theologian Charles Erdman said, Pentecost has never ended. Souls are still being gathered into the garner of God. Well beyond our imagination, God is at work with his people, with a new beginning through the work of his spirit. Let's talk about birthdays and why they matter. After all, do you remember your birthday? Don't have that much recollection of that first one? 
Maybe you're reminded of it when you woke up this morning. The fact that you're breathing right now lets you know that you had a birthday, right? Your memory is refreshed because you are (laughs) alive. God doesn't abandon us when Jesus rises from the dead and ascends to heaven. The life we have in Christ is brought to mind In the same way as you have breath today, the paraclete, the helper, the Holy Spirit reminds us of God's word and brings to remembrance, as we'll remember at this table, of what God has done. It's no surprise that uh, many of us don't remember that first birthday. It's no surprise that Joy and I remember the events of our children's birth better than they I had the privilege of being a witness, of being there, supporting my wife and being there at the birth of our four children. When Luther was born, the hospital that we were at, the attendants, to our surprise, kept coming up to me and asking, are you doing okay? Do you need anything? I mean, I really didn't have much to do. (laughs) I did, however, accept the coffee that they offered me. I think even Joy kind of gave a funny look to all the questions coming at me because after all, the power didn't rest in me, right? And this Pentecost, this birth of the church, the power didn't rest in Peter. The power didn't rest in the apostles. The power rested in the coming of the Spirit, the one who breathes life, who gives life. That's where the power comes from. Birthdays matter because of the one who gives life. Birthdays matter because of the life that we're given made, you and I, as image bearers, made in the image of God. No, the power of Pentecost doesn't come from us. Notice the first actor is the Spirit. At Pentecost, though, not only does the Spirit come to us, He comes now and we hear in this text, and we'll talk more about it in just a moment in verse 23, He resides in us. Let's go back in history for a moment to the first Pentecost. Not the one 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem, but even before that. 50 days, Penta, Pentecost, after God's rescue plan of his people, the Jews, who had been in slavery in Egypt. 50 days after that rescue, they went to Mount Sinai. And there they received the word of God. And so a celebration was established to celebrate the reception of God's word those 50 days later called Pentecost. And then years later, on the day that we celebrate now today, the the celebration was filled up to its completion For 50 days after God's rescue plan was complete, 50 days after the resurrection, the Spirit descends. God's word brings life then and now. 
And he makes that home now in us. As this Pentecost celebration is filled up by the Spirit and completed by Christ. And so as we get to the beginning of chapter 14 of the Gospel of John, we hear Jesus say some words. I said uh, at the last service that, uh, you know, we should listen to Jesus when he repeats himself, and he does that in chapter 14. But I did uh, have the presence of mind to correct myself and say we should listen to Jesus all the time, not just when he uh, repeats himself. But he does here in chapter 14 repeat himself. At the beginning of chapter 14, he says these words that you heard later and read for us today. He says, let your, your hearts not be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Let your hearts not be troubled. Now, it makes sense that he would say that at the beginning of 14, because in chapter 13, Jesus had just told him that he'd be leaving them, that he'd be dying. And he established this table of grace that we call Holy Communion. And he did this weird thing with washing of feet. I mean, they probably were perplexed, right? And so he says, let your hearts not be troubled. But then he says, with this word mone in Greek that's only used twice in the New Testament, both times right here in chapter 14, it's first translated at the beginning of the chapter as a room. For I go to prepare a place for you, a home for you. Uh, the King James Version liked to translate it as mansions for you. But then the same word shows up later after Jesus repeats himself and says again, let your hearts not be troubled. He'll say this again because he's making a home. That same word home is now translated as home. The home for what? The home in verse 23 for the father, son, and now the spirit. What does all this mean? Jesus is helping his disciples then and us, we, his disciples now, know that we have a future and a hope. That Jesus goes and prepares a place for us. In my father's house, there are many rooms. He has prepared this place for us. He is the way to get there. He prepares our future. He holds our future. And nothing that happens in between now and then will get in the way of that because of the power of God, the promise of God, the power of the Spirit. And so we have a future, you and I, that can't be thwarted by the broken world that we live in. But there's a second promise here in this text because not only do we have a future hope, but what we discover is that we have hope now that he makes his home in us, not just in the future, but now the Father, Son, and Spirit reside in us and make home in us now. Because he's prepared a home in the future, the eschaton, the end times, we can have hope for the future no matter what we face. But wait, there's more. Don't forget that we don't have to wait until we die, that he is at home with us now. 
the home of the Father and the Son in you. In this broken world, in whatever we may face, we know we won't be alone because God himself makes home in you. As lonely as we sometimes feel, as hard and on an island as we sometimes feel we are, God says, I make my home in you, all those in Christ. In this broken world, when, when bad things happen, and they happen all the time, we know we have a future. The eschaton, the end, the future is secure. And the realized eschaton, the now, he is with us. When he makes his home in us, his fruit emerges. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. And as that fruit takes root in us, as he makes his home in us, we become influencers to the world like we never imagined. The world right next door to us, the world in our homes, we become his influencers. You know, later in verse 30, Jesus says that the, the ruler of this world, the accuser, the, the Satan, is not more powerful than Jesus. I like how some, a group of Lutheran pastors got together and were translating this text. And I like how they translated what Jesus said there. They put it this way, that Jesus said, he, talking about the accuser, he's got nothing on me. And guess what, friends? If Jesus, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is making his home in you, then the accuser has got nothing on you. When the accuser attacks, and man, it happens to me all the time, and we hear the, oh, I fall so short, and I... And it, the accuser attacks, he, he attacks to take us away from this place of God's transformation. And we believe the lie that we're uh, not loved or that God's not with us. And so the accuser attacks and it leads us to shame and doubt. But when the spirit comes... And he convicts, he faces the truth in our lives. What does the Spirit do? He doesn't lead us from there to shame and doubt. He takes us to the table of God's grace. The conviction of our hearts by the Spirit brings us into the Word and brings us into the promise of what God has done for us. Martin Luther said in his Heidelberg Discipline, uh, disputation. The law says do this and it's never done. The law's thirst is unquenchable, but the gospel in turn draws out belief in what's already been accomplished. And this accomplishment is done by the one true God who has prepared a future and has made his home now in you. Yes, indeed, that accuser, he's got nothing on you. Nothing on you. 
the power of the Spirit has made his home in you. Let him do what he promised and remind you every day that you are an image bearer of the one true God and you are not alone. Listen to those words that Jesus repeats. Let your hearts not be troubled. Let his fruit be the influence of your life and mine for his glory. Who cares if people think you're crazy? I mean, they thought Peter was drunk, right? He had to say, no, it's 9 a.m. We can boldly proclaim his word and let his spirit do the work in us. And even though there are those in the church's name who have taken the Lord's and name in vain and done evil in his sight and failed to live out of this fruit of the spirit. God, nevertheless, despite our own frailty through his people, the church have through the ages worked for the good. Recently, I've shared some of those, the way that he has worked in, uh, to bring about education and truth, the time of Luther, as the way that he speaks to the truth of neither Jew nor Greek. So you hear all of those different nations' voices heard on Pentecost, one people under God, neither male nor female, personhood, from God, image bearers of God. And not only does he do that here, but even more so, he has that future hope that he is speaking through you to share this good news of the gospel. Now, Jesus' peace, this peace that he leaves, this shalom is greater than that of the world. It, as one commentator put it, it doesn't mean simply that absence of trouble. It means everything which makes for our highest good. The peace that the world gives is a peace of escape. But the peace which comes just from the avoidance of trouble or refusing to face things. The Spirit doesn't do that. The peace which Jesus offers is the peace deals with what is. He deals with it. He's accomplished. It's independent of external circumstances and dependent on what Jesus has done. And so, like the days of old, God's rescue plan today, as we'll remember it at this table, is complete. He has completed this good work. It is Pentecost. The church is born. It's not done. The Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, of whom we'll talk more of next week on Trinity Sunday, is making his home in us. The accuser has nothing on him, and because of that, he's got nothing on you. You are a new creation. The Spirit's power will be the fruit of your influence greater than anything you could have ever imagined. So hear these words of Jesus one more time. Peace I leave you. 
My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Amen.